Hello kitty. Hello kitty baby. Ow! Welcome to Basilisk Station. It is a balmy 75 control indoor temperature in this space station. And just remember, 75 stocks for you. Dress accordingly. It's going to be like this all the time because we're in space. Everything's metal. Today for our Basilisk Station news, your master mediocrity is here to give you some shout outs to some of our sponsors. We would like to thank in today's beautiful world, those of us who buy us a coffee or a comic, depending on your perspective. But Tony, thank you for chipping in and helping the ladies out. You did wonders blasting us over our $60 goal of getting new or improving our recording situations. Thank you for your contribution. And to everybody else who's rolled into our Discord and who are there to make it a brighter, more entertaining place. For July so far, we've got Super Lemonade, Anthony Psycho, and Rogue Symbiote, who have joined us there. With the Girls Talk Comics and Community, you can check out our link tree in the description above, below, to the left, right, or hovering over this. I don't know. Now, with today's news and more information about the history of Station. Master Mediocrity is going to be handing off to the beautiful, wonderful Jess, your lieutenant of literature. Good morning, Basilisk Station. <laughs> I'm here slinging another cringy old-fashioned book into the Master of Mediocrity's face. It was yeah. book club! Woo! Except for this time, she got around it. How did she get around it? Somebody made a comic. For once, we are on topic and also doing the cringy things that I that I love. Yay! I mean, if you can combine them, it just makes things better for me, I guess. It just makes sense. It just makes sense. And honestly, I actually had to stop myself from buying the comic when you reminded me that the comic existed until after we get done with this because we're going to do something different. And Erin's going to talk to me about where she got in the graphic novel. And I'm going to talk to her about the book. So it's kind of like a crossover episode of book club and artist spotlight so here we are my friends (laughs) welcome again i first read today's book after i graduated from college when i was taking my intensive reading seminar from the goddess of literature that i worked with who was like i think you'll like this they made a comic of it but this is one of the best space operas i've ever read and it has a strong female protagonist tm which is like what everything that was recommended to me at the time was, and I think you'll like it. She'd also recommended, also by David Weber, some of his fantasy stuff, which is also a really fun series, and I can talk about that later. But today, we're focusing on one illustrious Honor Harrington, who is one of the mainest, biggest, baddiest, badasses of traditional science fiction space opera genre, written by a male author, David Weber, and started in the, God, I want to say 80s? Ooh, 1993. 1993. Oh, wow. It's an early 90s book. So, I mean, a little earlier than I thought, but also, like, still decades ago, as much as it hurts my heart to, to admit that. Anyway, Erin, why don't mm-hmm. you pick it up? Have you heard of this book or read this book before? So I had actually 
heard of Honor Harrington. And I heard of Honor Harrington in a way where I'm going to provide you some acquaintance feedback because they're not quite listeners yet. And I'm, I need to change that. So the people that I heard about it this from were my husband and my brother-in-law. And husband's not a listener because that would be weird. The two of them, <laughs> they listen to audiobooks at like two times, if not faster, regular volume. Drives me nuts. I fear that I have listened to part of the audiobook with them at that speed and have just been glazed over, bored to tears because one, I couldn't understand any of it because I can't listen to words that fast. And two, of the words that I picked up on, most of them were space, techno, like technology, military. And I was like, I don't, I have no interest and no context for these terms that are just being <laughs> blasted to me at twice the listening speed. So I had heard of it before. What kind of monster listens on it. Fast Forward? <laughs> Probably some of our listeners. So Probably. Like, but I really don't have the audio processing power either, Erin. So do not feel alone in that because I, I really can't. Like, I say monster. What I mean is like machine near metagod type inhuman, like superhero. I have Who has been, the audio processing power I have that? been promised. Yeah, I've been promised that uh, it's really easy to practice you just have to like gradually increase the speed and then you too can get to two times the listening speed for some reason it's a sign of their superiority within their group i don't know i think it's just <laughs> the one thing i can judge them all for but it, they're competing with each other to get to the fastest listening speed and frankly that's kind of I precious mean, like audiobooks are a long ass time to listen through sometimes like some of them are like 24 hours so I get it kind of if you're but also like I need I need that time I need the bulk of that time because I drive every day to work so I'm like no I need I need several hours because I have basically an hour a day that I burn through if I'm not doing the thing that I did whenever I re-listened to this book which was just play it in the background constantly while I was doing phone video games which is you know wasteful if I'm using it with the purpose of getting through my commute without dying. So now that you have actually sat down with the media, not the book specifically, but the graphic novel, did that impression get changed for the better, for the worse? Is it kind of what you expected? It's kind of what I expected. So reading it, reading the comic, I totally reflected on whether or not I was interested in picking up prose or even the audiobook. You know, I was trying to reflect on what it meant, what impact it had based on the dialogue and some of the narration from honor i just wasn't compelled to it still had that very technical and military tactic focus that i just don't really find interesting i guess if that makes sense oh totally yeah, yeah. no i don't enjoy space opera as a whole so it was interesting to me that i did enjoy what I did of the Honor Harrington series and as a caveat I have read it first it, I don't know if I would have been as good if I started off with an audio because you're right there's a lot of just mumbo jumbo technical whatnot and I mean he does it in a way that if you're focusing and care enough to pay attention you understand and follow pretty simply and you know but it is also a little bit like a lecture on space dynamics that don't exist in real life <laughs> and military things that don't exist in real life. 
it's kind of fun if you're thinking about it from the because I think she, she she suggested Ender's Game to me right before this. So, like, if you're thinking about it from that kind of, you know, if that's something that you like, you know, you could kind of compare how different people process the idea of fighting in space. I mean, like, ultimately, mm-hmm. the most terrifying idea that I could, like, I would hate that the worst. I mean, any fight I don't like. I mean, like, I'm real danger adverse. Like, not really danger adverse. How do I explain that? I don't like to get hurt. I don't like to feel uncomfortable. If anything's going to make me hurt or make me uncomfortable, I'm probably not going to do it. But it's one it's one of the better ones that I've read, probably because, you know, throughout you do see Honor's character evolve. And also it's got that kind of like catnippy thing where if you really like having a perfect heroine who has like a couple of flaws, but they're never, none of them are deal breakers. You know, they're not, she's not super complex. She's just sort of lawful good, you know, like every once in a while she snaps, but it always feels good. Mm -hmm. Like John Wick, like it's just the character is always fails up, you know, always falls up, is always in the wrong place at the right time and does what she needs to do for God and country. And yeah, it's just kind of that feel good tale wrapped up with the strong female protagonist, TM, and also kind of does interesting things for like, what if women were truly egalitarian and does things like gives you the option later down the line to like grow a baby in a vat if you want to keep your career moving smoothly. You know, like if you're a naval officer and cannot be pregnant on the job, why don't you just read to your baby for hours on a recorded tape and then they'll just grow the baby in a vat for you. And that's how that works. You know, like that things like that, that kind of are like, huh, like what, does this guy think would need to be present in order for everybody to be equal and for it to not even be a thing that you think about. But, and then part that I'm kind of interested in hearing about is like how far you got, like, did it get to the end of the battle at Basilisk Station in the first volume? And then my next question is like, did it deal with the thing that I've noticed now? I have a problem, dear listener, where I can't stop whenever I read book club stuff. I always end up reading through to like the second or third book by the time we end up recording because I have a problem. And for the two books that I've now finished of this series, it has become clear to me that he's fallen into the early 90s trap and the potentially, you could argue, male author trap of assault and sexual assault as a growing tool trope. You know, like that's kind of, and it's not leaned in too heavy or anything, but it is sort of like the biggest bad that could ever, you know, it just, It's a little bit of a trap, I think, to include that in all of your narratives about strong women. But I kind of was curious, having a completely different piece of media from this universe, like what, like how far does volume one go? And does that kind of still happen? Or do they kind of smooth over the edges of that comic? Because it is comic, so they have a different kind of, a lot of the exposition from the book, I assume, is just done in picture. (laughs) They don't have to describe the ship, they can just give you a picture of the ship you asked a lot of questions in there sorry so i had to write them down to make sure i got everything i wanted to respond to (laughs) (laughs) let me get back to one of the first things you said you mentioned ender's game and how this might relate to ender's game based on the tactics and war thing this feels different than ender's game because it ender's game was interesting in the sense that it focused for me because it focused so much more on relationships between characters in using kind of psychology to best your enemies ender one through outsmarting and knowing the pride and hubris and patterns that his opponents fell into and being able to be smarter and then also using his resources in a more effective means 
Whereas Honor, her knowledge and her crew's knowledge was much more, their skill set was much more practical in the sense, and tactical, where it was very much like, oh, the engines can do this, the engines can do that. And we understand the long, short range of the weapons that we have, as well as them being more willing to sacrifice themselves. It felt less psychological and more like David Weber wanted to write the some manual on tactics in space. You know, like it, it was just much more pragmatic than Ender's Game was for me. So ju- that's just a, so if anybody listens and compares. Now with Ender's Game and Orson Scott Card, be leery of your reading selection, but that is a different conversation altogether. I did just want to talk about how Honor Harrington felt less like a charismatic leader and more like Again, a tactics manual. When it came to using sexual assault as a plot device, the comic gave it a whopping two pages for which the assailant came through with his derogatory language about how she gets the pleasure of sleeping with him and then her effectively taking him out and being able to flee the situation. I don't know if that's more or less space than the prose gave it but it definitely was like oh the reason we have tension between me and this my commander is because i didn't have sex with him when i didn't want to and it was definitely one of those things if we're on reflection i'm like did david not realize some other plot point could be the reason they don't like each other like she was better than him in training and, and not he attempted to assault her and she didn't allow it to happen. You know, like we could use so many other other things <laughs> to one, not only bolster Honor's character, like if they had had a rather vicious rivalry in training that could show how she was this harder worker that we were told she was. And it could also give a more legitimate plot device character motivation than failed attempted sexual assault and for the plot in general let me let me walk through the plot and you just tell me how close it is to the book i guess starts off with her captured on an enemy ship years after basilisk station and she's recounting the memories of how she found herself in this predicament how she outsmarted um, an entire fleet in a brilliant maneuver, but ended up be- being ostracized uh, by her command and sent to Basilis Station. Apparently, the shitheel of military placements, yet also an incredibly strategically important place for whatever Cold War was going on between two space nations. Basilis Station is a trading depot outside of a planet whose natives are more kind of in the Bronze Age and are being slowly bolstered by other Space Age civilizations and able to participate in some of that trade and politics. Over the time, Honor and her crew find out that there is some nefarious smuggling happening with the local aliens who are being equipped with excessive and artificially made batches of whatever religious drug they have 
and with space weaponry in an attempt to galvanize them to rebel against Honor Harrington's nation. At which point the Haven, I think is who they're fighting with, will swoop in, save the day, and take over Basilisk Station. But but Honor and her crew and their sense of their brilliance, dedication, and willingness to sacrifice their own lives save the day and get recognized for their superiority. Which point the book ends with them essentially limping back to the station uh, in her flashbacks and in the present time her arriving on the Haven planet where she is to be executed for that battle at Basilisk Station. And that is the plot of the comic in a nutshell. Well, that's actually a really good nutshell, by the way, because that is most of what I remember from the book, but also, like, interesting. The framing device is from, like, four or five books ahead in the series. That's kind of interesting. It kind of tells me where the story's going for, like, the main arc, if they made it that far. But it's cool that volume one is the entirety of the first book within a framing device of, you know, further into the series. And it's kind of fair to say that the big points of the book are... You know, she she had this ship that she is given command for, and there's, like, two different factions, or, I mean, multiple factions, but there's two different factions in the Navy. There's the old guard that believes that tactics are tactics are tactics, and then there's the new guard who are like, fuck tactics, more technology, better technology wins the day, kind of deal. And you see throughout the series that those two are kind of, during their competitiveness with each other, it's kind of what vaults that very small kingdom of Manticore into this huge like su- naval superiority. It's because they have these two very strong factions that are fighting where they're like keeping their sense of old tactics. And also like they have this huge driving force in who they call horrible hip pill, who is constantly trying to figure out how to make the old tactics irrelevant by breaking through new technology a little bit forward. The first book, she fails horribly because she puts this thing on this ship that the ship's never going to get within closing range to use this big gun that she gave her. (laughs) But surprise, in the first book, like, that's the thing that saves the day because the the Q-ship gets pissy, turns around, and is like, I'm going to fucking kill this bitch because she, like, destroyed so much of my ship and there's no reason that they, she should have been able to do that except for she was just that plucky and then she's like oh and i have an ace up my sleeve and just like knifes him when he gets within closing range after playing possum for a little bit you know so it's like oh look plot device yeah. yay uh, which is it's kind of hard whenever we go over these books because part of me is like uh yeah cliche but then also a part of me is like but you know, like I still, my blood pressure still gets elevated as I'm listening to this book. And, you know, I still get kind of swept up in the story of the Harrisism. It's not something that I indulge in very often. And I know this one is decent. This one is one that I like. So it's, you know, it's one of those guilty pleasures kind of where I'm like, yeah, it's just a feel good. But also it's like, yeah, she's kicking ass. To circle back a little bit to one of the points you made, Ender's Game being more psychological, I would definitely agree with you there. I will say that I think he breaks a little bit further into the psychological side of it. As she becomes higher rank, she's not really in there, you know, scuffing it up with these like do or die situations as much. So he has to kind of come back and she has to kind of get in the mind of the enemy a little bit, you know, so it becomes a little bit more meta. And then like by book 10 to 15 it's really it's really like removed from 
and I can see it losing a lot of people if they weren't already like really invested in the arms race of and the political intrigue of it all. Like if, if they don't really like that aspect of it, you're not going to get through more than a couple of these books, just to be honest. But the first couple of books are real like she's in the hell fire of battle. And then <laughs> she becomes like an admiral. And there's only so much you can do whenever, you know, like you run the whole damn Navy. So mm-hmm. I think he is forced into that side of it. But I think you're right. He does start as more like a, here's how tactics work. And this is me giving you a good old nudge nudge that Manticorean tactics are better. Also kind of reads like a love letter to monarchy. Like, like mm, the Brits did it right. Yes. Kind of. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, and to the other point, she gets this shit heel of a of a weapon on her ride, right? <laughs> and her a weapon on a ride, like it makes it sound like like street fighting or something. But um, it's Mad Max in space. And there you go. No, but that would be real Except cool. Though. Far more regal. <laughs> yes, I mean that's Firefly, isn't it? Like, I think you're right. I think I it is Firefly. Yeah. No, I. No, that's accurate. At least for the Reavers, definitely. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> she pulls it off once because she's a brilliant tactician, right? But then everyone in the Navy during their war games kind of understands what she's got. So then they just, they just like snuff her immediately. Like every time they go straight for her. Oh, one, yeah. You know, yeah, and kill her ship. And then she's like, ah. So then Himple's pissed off that her baby didn't work. And so she gets outcast to this station where she runs into this old heel from school and i think you're right i think he just didn't i think dudes don't understand and especially at that time it seemed like every single book had a oh but i was i was really made uncomfortable on a date or like you know harder variations of that in up into like actual assault but like a completed assault i should say i think the act of trying to coerce someone should be called assault but like <sighs> Anyway, you know what I'm saying. Like, it varying it degrees is. That's of... A, that's a growing movement. Yeah. It's like a full page, maybe. It was like two minutes in the audiobook, okay. max, of, you know, like, she's kind of described... You know, like, you get little cues of her, like, not liking the idea of this asshole being her uh, CO. And <laughs> then... You know, she goes through, like, two pages of, like, I remember being, you know, being in the office with the, op- like, the commanding or teacher, or headmaster, however it works, at a naval academy, and him trying to get me to tell him everything that had happened, and the other guy getting in trouble, even though the other guy was obviously pummeled to a pulp, and I wasn't. He still had to apologize to me. And she's like, in retrospect, everyone knew what had happened, but she refused to, like, explain the full detail of what had happened, so then he was allowed to stay in the Navy. And she's kind of, like, retroactively shaking herself, like, if you would have just said what had happened, they would have dealt with it, and he would have never been allowed to be an officer, because that's one of the ultimate no-nos. So it's, like, kind of half David Weber going, oh, this is the truly egalitarian, like, there's some things that are just beyond forgiveness, and that's one of them. So, like, yay! advocate but also like it's your fault if you don't report kind of i don't think that's what he was trying to do but i think it's kind of half you know though it just it kind of has me thinking because we we do like to talk about how and we as a culture like to talk about how writings ideas people are products of their age right of their 
era. And some of that can be challenged with the fact that there are figures in particular areas that we condescend and critique and shame who stood out and had values that were pro-progressive movements today, right? Um, Mm -hmm. So people like to throw that back in the face of being like, you can't use that as a valid critique of something like that they're a product of their age because there were people already at that time who knew it was wrong. The 90s were fairly recent enough, blah, 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 whatever. Where I want to go with that, though, is just the way I think that um, product of their age is still valid. In the 90s, you know, corporate sexism was still a conversation. Hell, I think even assault within marriages was still something that was being addressed. The idea that written literature maybe drives that cultural shift to progress the conversation for the average Joe who is in line with cultural norms. I don't know if that came out right, but the idea is that, okay, okay, you got it, great. And also it was in 1993 that marital assault became illegal in all 50 states, so... Oh, well, that's um, horrifying. To give a timeline. Yeah. So. That is absolutely horrifying. So, yeah, he was definitely ahead of his time in terms of trying to really flesh out this egalitarian. You know, and in a lot of ways, he's doing what I like whenever it comes to sci-fi and fantasy, where I'm like, I like assuming that that's not still a thing. I like it when we are like, this is the future. That's part of the past. And, you know, like maybe bringing in instances where stuff still happens because people are still assholes, but it's not the norm. You know, we have a structure to stop it or a structure that's really against it or we all can agree that it's bad. You know, like, like I, I can see where that's good. I'm just saying like, well, for a modern reader. No, I, I agree. Yeah. yeah it's kind of well, like. Let's, let's talk about that a little bit. This is the second book in a row where we've had this show up as a plot point and almost an irrelevant plot point because in Sheep Farmer's Daughter, it happened to Pax and then almost became inconsequential. And Mm -hmm. for Honor, it also came up and within even the first book was kind of inconsequential besides just framing their dislike for each other, right? And then Mm -hmm. he was gone for the rest of the first book. It had no impact on her. In both Sheep Farmer's Daughter and in On Basco Station, they do have the idea that it's not okay to do those things, which is super progressive because it is an attack on rape culture, which is what we want. We want people to dismantle that. We want people to fight against that. And the writers are coming out and clearly saying in these cultures, it's unfucking acceptable to do that or objectify your peers or others in such a way. I I think that is a really important way to frame that maybe and to take that. Sure, it uses it as a plot point unnecessarily because it doesn't really tie to anything. And for people who may judge me on that, Dear Skin by Robin McKinley is a book that where it's a relevant plot point and we're not going to add that one to the book club, but (laughs) no, no, we're not. uh, The culture though, making the stance of this is unacceptable and going after the person who did the affront. I I still think it's really important. 
um, even if it was done imperfectly according to modern standards. So, yeah. And, you know, I I think a little bit, you're right, like of the time when these things were written, it's like, it must've felt a little bit like, of course we have to address the elephant in the room because everyone, you know, and I mean, a little bit still in the modern way that we're talking about, but like, yeah, that is a part of every modern woman's story almost, you know, like not maybe, but like you know uncomfortableness or fear or whatever or at least that's how it seems right Mm -hmm. so yeah I could see I mean I could see all of that but it is kind of weird having the one-two punch of it I don't know like I became sensitive to it the last time because it did kind of surprise me like in retrospect like oh how did I glaze over that but then also like I'm getting a little self-conscious because I'm like is this like jessica's cringy rapey reveries you know like that's not i mean that that's not what i oh, thought no. of all of these books whenever i was reading them you know like it it was just part of what all like things were i don't know it's a little bit weird getting older looking back on these things that i loved and seeing that every single one of them was like rape is bad like even if it's not like super like important to the story and i, I didn't know if that was like a flag that every author who raised it made me feel just that much safer and more comfortable with their narrative or like how, I don't know what that says about me, Erin, but, but also I had this thought while you were talking about it being almost irrelevant, like he could have done something else with that. He could have been like, oh, she's better than him or whatever. It made me think of Draco Malfoy. (laughs) Can you imagine if Draco Malfoy was like, oh, of course he tries to assault Harry. Like, of course. And I mean, I know there's a whole section of fandom that would have been very, very happy by that turn of events. And listen, I'm not judging you. I'm just saying. (laughs) I am just saying. Can you imagine if that was the narrative for young male protagonists or older male protagonists? Or, you know, if that was part of every single piece of building blocks for all of the characters that they look forward to or you know like I just it's just one of those disparities that makes me think sometimes and 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 now in my head shit heel what's his face is now the Draco Malfoy of the Honor Harrington novels so I I can't argue with that I mean (laughs) it it is something that that, I mean that's why it's sexist right is because it Mm -hmm. is something that is specifically ascribed to women characters and that's why it's a problem. And, well, that's part of the reason why it's a problem. The other part is that it is such a pervasive part of culture that it's alienating and re-traumatizing for women readers to kind of come across that material all the time. You know, like, it's just like, okay, let me desensitize myself to the regular trauma and <laughs> triggers I experience just so I can consume any culture safely. Like, it's just... Yeah, it's exhausting. And I'm glad you warned me about it before we read this book. So I was able to kind of emotionally gloss over it. And it was I mean, it was just so unnecessary. It was just so unnecessary. I was afraid about the comic aspect of it, because of the picture aspect of it. Like, I was really worried whenever you were like, I'm gonna read the comic. I'm like, sure. Yay. And then I was like, Oh, wait, okay, well, I have no I have no way to warn you if this is graphic or not. I'm so sorry. Like, please be forewarned that, like, I know it's pretty mild in the books, but like, it could, I mean, you know, comics are, comics are picture books and pictures convey a lot. And I find reading an audio a lot less abrasive to my own wounds 
then I'd find pictures and like movies. Does that make sense? 100%. And I was actually, had the comic been bad at handling it, we were going to have a very different conversation. So, yeah. Because um, I, sure. you know, I would have messaged you right away and been like, this is un freaking acceptable. And <laughs> I'd have been like, drop everything. We're recording now. We're talking about this now. Like, you know, it's just. Yeah. But it, it, I think it handled it as well as it could for it being such an awkward scene. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's just such an awkward, unnecessary yeah. plot device for the story. Well, and, and kind of back to the plot a little bit, like it's sent as a framing for like a two minute interaction between her and her CO. And he does immediately yeet himself out of the system, effectively tying his hands saying that he can't like, so now he can't stop her from succeeding. But, like, just assuming because he's a shit commander that she's going to be a shit commander leaves her with a seemingly impossible task. And then she stays up all night long and, like, puts together a game plan where everybody's going to be really fucking tired. But we're all going to get through this and we're going to do all of the things we're supposed to be doing. And then, like, kind of another, I don't know, two-thirds of the book are all of the people on Bastila Station, like, patting her on the back aggressively for and all of her crew members aggressively for actually fulfilling the basic tenets of their post there because no one had which feels weird because you're right like they do frame it as this hugely important post but then that's where the politics comes in where you know the quote progressives or whatever the hell that means for because you know how the words are weird for england i i'm like, I haven't really leaned into trying to make a, a modern allegory for the political parties in this. Like, I haven't tried to draw, like, oh, these are these people and these are these people. Because I, I just don't think it works for the U.S. It might for Britain, because he does seem like the kind who's writing a love letter to England. But there are people who want this not to happen, this expansionism not to happen, and they are really iffy about, you know, stepping on the natives' toes or, like, impeding the natives of that world that's by that station, you know, cause it's, they're talking in terms of star systems, but there is a, a world that's inhabited with a sentient life. And so, you know, they kind of frame it in like these weird ways. That's weird now, especially like it got weirder because whenever I first read this, it was, I mean, obviously it feels like every four years it gets more and more kind of weirdly black and white. The narrative changes and gets more intense around politics, but it's kind of strange reading politics in a sci-fi book from the 90s where the politics don't work the same and there's no clear, like, good guy, bad guy narrative, you know, like, like there is now. It feels sort of like, I don't know. It was just weird. But the politics are such that, you know, even though it's important because they know Haven's going to come and get them eventually because Haven's this expansionist nightmare, which I think is an American allegory. It, they didn't, they didn't fund it the way that they needed to. And then, like, the new guys from this other side of politics and they have this aristocracy where like even though they're shit heels if they're part of the aristocracy they end up getting rung up the flat like to flag admiral you know so like so they have some pretty like huge turd buckets as like commanding people in their navy and politics and stuff and where those two things combined and yeah i mean it's it's a space opera but so they're actually fulfilling their duty tenants there and isn't that convenient timing because haven has this like plot that was exactly the same in the comic as it was in the in the book and they use their better preparedness and actually doing their job to give them the forewarning they need to save the day and then um she limps home and there's a fun little part in the book (laughs) where honor harrington immediately makes herself not 
Himple's biggest, like, Himple already didn't like her because her toy didn't work in war games, which, like, all of the old school technicians were like, this is the wrong ship to put that on. (sighs) So, so then she makes it work against this big merchant. So, like, they have their super dreadnoughts, which are these big ships, but then they have their freighters, which are, like, super duper duper big ships. And it's all in a scale that's really hard to visualize. Um, and, and then the Havens had this bright idea to, like, pretend like a freighter was just a freighter, but, like, weaponize it in a way that it's not as maneuverable as, say, a super dreadnought, and it's not as well, like, protected, but it's better than a lot of the other small things that are running around in space, and so they can use it to, like, do sneak attacks and stuff. So this massive thing that obviously has, like, way more, you know, like, guns and ammo and stuff on because it's of its huge size and so therefore way more like pieces of weaponry turns around gets in close she kills this big thing so that's this huge feather in himple's hat himple's hat himple's hat and then so himple's team is like oh yes come speak to the weapons committee to tell about how much you love this thing that we've put on your ship you know like trying to get her to come sing the praises of this this tool that was ultimately like what got her to save the day you know because she had this ace up her sleeve that nobody who was sane would have put on that type of ship and uh yeah but at what cost at yes, what it, cost like, <laughs> come on yeah no and she was real pissed off like she was about to just punch him and th- and they explained that she's real strong because she's from a heavy grav world so she's just like naturally one of the more stronger like one of the stronger people in the world in the universe right like people who come from high grab worlds are you know faster stronger better like daft punk style she she, better uh, faster stronger you know she's got a she's got a cat that can read minds you know she's she's a well-stocked protagonist i'm telling you this is like a happy fantasy this is a this is a cotton candy type narrative i'm not saying it's not um, and there's a lot of ex machinas, like that transitions nicely into some reader feedback. Oh, okay. Well, can I just? But she she gets over her being pissed yes. off, and she goes, "Yes, I would love to talk to your committee." And it fades to black, and you know that she went into the committee and was like, "You stupid sobs! How effing dare you? The cost of life, you know, like you know, she just went in there and was like, "This was a horrible idea. Nobody should put Hippo in charge." <laughs> She yes, so, Beybladed the fuck out of that situation. Yes, like, she did. <laughs> okay, so I'm so excited because you said reader feedback, and I am very excited. Yay! Reader feedback! Okay, so first of all, I asked my husband what he thought of the books since he had listened to, in, to all of them. You want to know what he said? Yes. He said they were good? <laughs> When I asked him for more information, he's like, I don't really remember them, but I liked them enough to keep listening to them. So I think that means I liked them. <laughs> I was like, thanks. I feel like that They're is a good description out. of these books a little bit. Because it is a little yes. bit like cotton candy. You're like, mm, and then it melts away real fast. And you're like, oh, what was was there any sustenance to that? Mm, probably not. I want to also add Twitter user Souls Rolls. He goes, he goes by soul on Twitter. He's a listener on, or at least he interacts with me on Twitter. If he is a, a listener as well. Hi. He gave me quite a bit of insight. First off, I'm going to just kind of read what he says and 
maybe summarize other points. Weber pokes around the politics in a weird way. Decent mix of male and female characters for the time the novels were written, especially as the mainstream sci-fi written by a guy. Some mentions of non-white characters that aren't tropes as well. So positives for the books. Politics seem to reflect a strong support of militaristic authoritarian rule, direct anti-socialist commentary throughout. He says it's pretty ham-fisted at points, and that might be, he did admit later that it, that's later on in the series and not in the first book. Honor evolves through the novels, bit of a flirt with Mary Sue territory, since she's just good at everything. But she does have some growth in her relationships, views on politics, and the nature of leadership. Books do become progressively more politics-based as the series goes on. And I think so. he had some concern about how torture gets revisited more than once, um, with sweeping space combat becoming less the focus. So between book one and book ten, it's very, very different. If And Sol calls it just a bit formulaic so that that's kind of his idea is that she she gets a little close to mary sue status and that it's not just a bad thing but like it's just kind of how she's written and it gets a little bit pronounced probably in other books besides the first book well and i can tell you having read all but maybe the last book i don't know he kind of stalled out at the end of the series like where he just wrote the same battles from multiple perspectives in the last couple of, I don't know, it was weird. It was like, oh, now we're going to go to this person and they're going to do the exact same book, but from a slightly different perspective. Uh, yeah, there is a little bit of, there's a lot of ex machina going around where there's like, oh yeah, and then the silver bullet of technology comes and saves the day a little bit. But, so formulaic, absolutely. But I, I think it's only a Mary Sue if we assume that all women want to be the same kind of woman. And I, I think that might be my most formed opinion about the term Mary Sue's. So like, people have been talking about Mary Sue since I was a kid in high school. And at first it was like, yeah, Mary Sue bad because women are dumb and teenage girl stuff sucks. Uh, and then as I've gotten older, obviously my opinion about Mary Sue's has changed. There's a lot of pushback against that term. There's a lot of pointing out that superheroes are Gary Sue's pretty much across the board, if you want to look at it with those kinds of mm -hmm. definitions. And, and and she's just hyper capable, but I don't think hyper capable means Mary Sue. So, I mean, like, I guess, I guess yeah. the no, I idea get it. that she's just too good. I mean, like, that's valid. I mean, like, too good at things, too many things. Sure, overpowered. Let's use overpowered instead of Mary Sue, maybe. Like, I think that, yeah, that's how I feel about it. I People want to should talk start about, saying overpowered uh, instead of Mary Sue. I think, I think that's a really great way to talk about it. And even since we already brought in Ender's game to the conversation, Ender oh, is yeah. a Mary Sue. Yeah. Definitely. 100%. He's great at everything at the age of five. Like, let's be fucking real. Anyway, mm -hmm. but even in Ender's game, Ender has a sister who is also really good at everything. And as a teenager, like, gets anonymously and ridiculously influential on politics. I mean, like, those are Mary Sue, Gary Stu characters. And to look at Ender and somehow absolve him of his brilliance because of the masculinity really discredits everything. Every Mary Sue argument that I've ever heard. If you, mm -hmm. if you are fine with Ender being brilliant at war games as a child who has been, what, long-term genetically engineered, <laughs> like, 
for brilliance and aptitude, if you're cool with that and aren't going to critique that mindset and everything behind that, but you're going to critique Honor Harrington, who was introduced with the words she had to work harder because she wasn't from a rich family, you know, like as a Mary Sue, Mary Sue, which I'm not saying soul does. Soul just says it flirts with that. David flirts with that. Um, right, yeah. But if to make that equation and ignore all the other male characters who are just like, I'm really adept, you know, it just, it's insulting. It's disingenuous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I get, it. I, I get and what you're saying. I, and I'm not trying to attack because, because I think it's legitimate to say that she flirts with being overpowered. You know, she becomes too, she becomes too good at everything. She doesn't fail enough. I can see that. I definitely can. And you know, he, he does bring up, Saul does bring up something else that's important, which is that, yeah, torture becomes a big thing. And sometimes, and I, and I noticed this with Pax and Arian, and I, and I noticed it with, with Honor Harrington. It's like glorification of the martyr a little bit, like extreme personal harm and pain and suffering conveys moral superiority or like divinity you know it's got that same you know jesus on the cross type feel Mm -hmm. to it that is kind of icky especially when it's associated with like rape and sexual assault because number the number two book is way more trigger warning if you if you were like okay i can fight my way through volume one volume two is bad and it's not dealt with directly but you see the after effects of it and then there's like a couple of pages where a woman is describing how they were held captive and then not treated to the codes of honor you know so it's and i do think i remember more torture scenes coming up later and it feels a little bit like other 90s things like gi jane for instance that book with Demi, that movie with demi Moore in it was like oh yeah hell yeah and then i rewatched it <laughs> as an adult in the 21st century and i look at it and i'm like mm. the everyone's like of course you're a lady in the military and that means you're gonna get the big the big r and it's just like ah and then like the, the of courseness of it hurts the the real detail oriented torture scenes and then like to combine that with that mm-hmm. uh sexual aspect of it you know and i'm not saying every torture scene does that I, like, I think there are other torture scenes that are more, you know, or just great violence. And, you know, at one point she gets her eyeball, she gets shot in the head. And so she's like, they're dealing with the fact that her face isn't fixed magically yet because they're on this back world. You know, like, th- things like that where it's like, oh, <laughs> very graphic about some of this stuff. And you're just like, okay, well, I hope this isn't every time, you know, because I mean, it is it is a naval <laughs> book it's a war book, you know, you're dealing with military. So like space opera, you kind of assume, but then also like part of space opera. And I think part of why David Weber was, you know, can be called progressive while like writing these in the nineties as a man, the genre of space opera is so it's like superhero comics of sci-fi, right? Like it's such a boy, like, Oh, of course only guys like this thing and only boys can be into it. Cause it's technical and ladies don't like technology, you know? Um, so it's got that it's in this niche of sci-fi, which is very much a boys club. If you look at it from that angle, it was really a big, like David Webb was like, you know what? Fuck you guys. I'm gonna write a strong female protagonist who's going to be good at everything. And like, you guys can just deal with it. And then he made it, one of the most popular books of the time, one of the best-selling books of the time, 
actual comic graphic novels were sprung out of it. So that's a win. I think that's a win. But to Sol's point, yeah, I do have, like, in hindsight, I do go, oh, yeah, you're right, a little bit about... (laughs) about the uh he really like leans into that a little bit and you're like "Mm, okay is this was this in all of my space opera books i don't i don't know but yes so i do agree i do have concerns about how much torture comes up and also like kind of sweeps over my concerns about the sex stuff well i think that's a the note to end the episode on just to it i'm gonna kind of walk us through maybe a d compression from that topic you know yeah we do bring up some more difficult topics on this podcast and it can be hard to listen to if you feel that after listening to this episode you need to or want to reach out and talk to somebody about it and want us to be the target of that please reach out on twitter or facebook or even on our fireside contact page and i can walk you through or even finding resources if you are a survivor and find that you need to engage with some more direct support however since we are putting the content out there i am also putting myself out there as somebody you can talk to in dealing with your thoughts feelings or reactions that might come from this episode thank you for joining us and we're going to start preparing for our next book club episode i guess yeah uh our next book club will be hyperbole and a half so that would be a fun read and more comic related yeah we're gonna veer into some comics for a little bit and then end on a end on a more modern note i think for this year so stay tuned hell yeah hell yeah okay Okay, thanks everybody for joining us today Bye. Bye. Badass. He's a little teddy baby. He's a little butterfly. He's a baby bird. Toothless, I love you. There's my baby. Hi. Do you hear her? <laughs>